Welcome to the Fan Girls Podcast with Danny and Jess. I'm Danny. And I'm Jess. And we're taking back our power. <laughs> what the hell? Just what? do the one line now. Breathe. Wait. No, just do the we're claiming back our we're power. We're claiming back our yeah. power. <laughs> just one line, Danny. podcast with Danny and Jess. I'm Danny and I'm Jess and we're claiming back our power as fangirls with one scream at a time. I added another word didn't I? No you did it great it was great I think so this is where I listen back and it's not so great no it was great <laughs> smashed it. Oh, did I say take it back or? No you said claim it back. And we're claiming back our power. We're claiming back. We are claiming We are back. absolutely claiming back our power. It probably sounds really like rigid though when I just said it. <laughs> and you'd be like you got it right but it sounded awful. No 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 you're good. You're absolutely good. So welcome to our second podcast. So this is yeah second podcast of a four episode season. This is our very first season. This week we are looking at purchasing power. So we're kind of looking at well the power of purchasing the power of commodification but really about the role that fangirls have within that power within that purchasing participation so i don't think that it can be understated that um fans as a collective as a community when they really put their investment into something that's how they become successful Mm -hmm. and i know that that seems like of course that's obvious and that's what artists want but i think that it's really interesting to look at how fans engage with one another in these spaces how fans engage with artists particularly maybe what happens if fans aren't very happy with artists there really is a power to having monetary value but also the cultural value as well um but as fans as consumers perhaps we don't always want to um classify fans as consumers Mm. um because fandom means so much and has so many different meanings so i think it's really exciting and interesting to sort of explore our perceptions around that yeah nice so i think we should start it off (laughs) talking about the power of purchasing and how much commitment fangirls do have to purchasing. How much have you spent on merchandise? For any fandom, not just music, but yeah. How much have you spent? No comment. <laughs> no, you need to comment. <laughs> we have a podcast of it, please comment. <laughs> I think, quite honestly, I haven't done the math in how much I've actually spent. Yeah. My biggest fandom in terms of what i have actually invested mm-hmm. is definitely disney <laughs> it started during the pandemic because i couldn't go to disney and was very anxious about having i think we had about three different holidays cancelled because of the mm. pandemic and because of different things and so there was an anticipation that sort of built up and i realized i'm qualifying myself now to justify my spending um but actually, I started collecting Disney-themed loungefly bags, mm-hmm. um, which are around probably about £70 a bag. Wow. Um, which is a lot of money. And I have 
a lot of bags of quite an do expensive. You te- are you are you the type of person that's like I protect my bags and they do not go outside, or are you like I will wear them everywhere and anywhere? So both. Okay. There are some that I do use and have used and probably will always use and sort of like swap out. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are other ones that I know that are collectors ones and they have the tags on and they are protected and yeah even maybe not necessarily um like resale value but has like value to me or like is quite sentimental Mm. or could be like particularly like a limited edition or a character that i like that makes sense so there's that and then i really i started getting into pin collecting again there is emotion involved in that i don't just collect random pins there's always something like a hotel that we stayed in or when we've gone like to Disneyland Paris at Christmas time we've got like a Christmas pin so there's always something to like remember what we've mm. done um, it becomes part of the experience but with bags you sort of need accessories like the years so I have like mini year collection as well there's quite an extensive amount of Disney merch that I have I love that <laughs> um, which yeah I can feel quite guilty about as well and there's something that over the sort of two years of the pandemic is something I heavily invested in hmm. and it isn't as intense now. Now it's very much like, okay, I, I did have a pin for the hotel that I just went yeah. to and I did like have a bag and a pair of years for the trip but that was like, this signifies this trip that we went on that was like really special Yeah, I can remember it by that whereas before it was very much like overconsumption of like, I just couldn't get enough because my emotional needs weren't being fulfilled because I was stuck in the house. Mm. Um it is quite an interesting. But talking of pins, you bought me one from I Disney did. World. <laughs> Danny got me the cutest little Hogwarts pin that has like a little tribute to all the houses, which is just super cute. Yeah, I thought that you would like it. I wasn't 100% sure like what house you would be, but since it said Hogwarts <laughs> alumni, I thought that's definitely Jess. Yeah. Like, and we talked about it, you know, last week and having a complicated relationship yeah. with <laughs> Harry Potter. And I thought, well, this is just a, this can be a pin that sort of signifies your graduate. Yeah. as well from, from Harry Potter and Harry Potter. I'm, I'm definitely a Hufflepuff or a Ravenclaw you're 100% a Ravenclaw and we're probably both a little bit of Slytherin but yeah I have no clue what any of these things mean I've been promising to watch the movies since they came yeah, out yeah no you need to watch it but anyway back to the expensive merch so okay lots of Disney stuff from yourself the, I've seen the room so I'm, you I, have I, seen the room I can, yeah um yeah, the most expensive Disney bag I have is probably about £400. Wow. <laughs> wow. Our producer actually just like turned around so fast. If you, if you can there. see me, you can see like that how I'm, my body's really tense and I feel quite embarrassed saying this. I will. <laughs> I will say that I had, like, to buy that. It's a Dunian book, and it's mm. a 100th anniversary. I bought it for myself. It was last Christmas time, mm. and I'd had a little bit of, like, Christmas money, and I'd also yeah. had a little bit of birthday money because my birthday is quite soon after Christmas. So it's definitely, like, a special treat And so I think you. I only spent, like, £90 on it. I say only, in comparatively. Girl math. <laughs> girl was, math. So, that was girl math. Yeah, that was girl math. Um... <laughs> That was such so gross. compared to the fact, yeah, but I could have spent four hundred, but what I actually only spent was ninety <laughs> on a bag that I've never used, yes. but is a collector's piece. Yes. What about you? I do um, feel. So... 
Do you know what? Merch is really hard for me. I'm definitely a t-shirt lover. Yeah. I find it, I've always found it really hard to spend money on things. Yeah. I would love to actually be more like yourself where I'm like, I'm going to spend this money just on me. And it's for something that's just mine, just because it's pretty and I just, I like it. But no, I kind of, I think I really struggle with merch and buying merch. I have a lot of t-shirts. We have vinyls. I have quite a few vinyls. That is something I care. Probably my books are probably the most collectible things that I have. So I have a couple of first editions or limited editions. So they were probably the closest I get to having something that's quite expensive. But I couldn't tell you... I don't think anything's ever gone beyond fifty pounds for myself. I mean, unless you count tattoos, I don't know oh, if that counts okay. as much. But uh, most of my tattoos are for bands. There we go. So yeah, I have two for Florence, one for Biffy, um, Biffy Cairo. So hopefully, no one oh, breaks up. That's an up. interesting one, actually. Oh, I love Biffy. Not not the with the tattoo is okay. Like, tattoos as merch. That's really interesting. Yeah, so that's definitely the that's where my money. That is a commitment go. as well. Yeah. Like I can. That is where my Disney money bags. would go. I yeah. would be like, if I could, I'd be covered in band tattoos. Yeah. But like... Oh, that's really interesting. Because yeah. I've always thought about getting like a, a Yumi at Six tattoo and then just never done yeah. it. I have lyrics as a tattoo. Yeah. But I sort of felt like it was a bit of a mantra as well. So I could kind of like justify it. But I've got to do yeah. to remember lyrics on oh, my... I like, yeah, like album covers, visual logos, like all of those kind of things. Yeah. So yeah, I would definitely be more covered in tattoos if I had the money. So <laughs> our merch decisions, the way we kind of present our yes. fandom identity, uh, definitely has a lot of association with how much money we're willing to spend. This idea of memory keeping is really interesting. But it's more than a materialistic connection mm-hmm. into buying these things or having that financial support for those specific fandoms it i think like this idea of like when i attend these spaces is that feeling of escapism and then i need something to kind of help me remember that feeling so definitely to keep going back to gigs is one of those for example to go back to disney world or wherever it is but i think that like tokenism of that feeling is definitely like an important part in that in that space that commodification yeah, absolutely. of buying your fandom so i mean we think about like um purchasing power we might think about like consume consumerism perhaps mm. or fan consumption as like physical items of like merch perhaps or like yeah. a vinyl or a cd but actually like consumption is taking place in those fan spaces as well yeah. in those live event contexts so not just sort of like the purchasing power that fans have in order to um, I guess put money straight into the pockets of artists mm-hmm. but also the power that they have in order to fill these spaces as well that serves a purpose for the art mm. and for the artists themselves so I think it's, it's really interesting how many different perspectives there are on just what fans are able to do just by their presence um, being there in any one of these fan spaces mm. yeah I think that's a really a really excellent point let's just pause there for a minute so we've just gone through our own experiences of merchandise, how may that impact our events, maybe, our experiences, engagement with fandoms. But yeah, let's just take a second. What do we mean by purchasing power? 
So essentially, purchasing power of fans is the economic investment that fans have either into the artist or the brand of their choice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's where they're putting their money. It's where they're deciding to invest. Um, it's really what makes brands and artists successful. It's off the back of that fan investment. Mm. Um, and really from that then, we can sort of flip the perspective a bit and actually see what that power of fans are and what it what they do um, mm. and how they can have influence themselves yeah and i think if we go back to last week last week you we looked at what is a fangirl um and one of the kind of things to start identify what is a fan is going okay so it's about this level of gratification mm-hmm. how we show our gratification for things which one of those things could be through financial support yeah that purchasing power act but also for fangirls it's a heightened it's a performative act of consumption so this is that role of consumption yeah with fangirls we usually think of that performative element it's yeah. like quite hysterical the screaming the heightened behaviors the youthfulness hyperfeminine, hypersexualization of it yeah. but now we have that consumption part the actual yeah. purchasing of things the money that is spent within all these different elements of fandoms whether it's the merchandise whether it's live events and ticketing whether it's actually like more fashion aesthetic elements smaller tokens but this is now the part of like consumption that they also do as well but now we can see a connection between purchasing power and fangirls do we think that there could be maybe an association of femininity with purchasing power? I mean, I think it's really interesting to discuss because I think there's something to be said about socialisation practices of women anyway when it comes to shopping, um, when it comes to parting with money. Yeah, like literally all I can think of is like how it's stereotypically portrayed for women shopping is quite obsessive, excessive buying too much yeah just like julia roberts in pretty woman with all the bags in her hand and yes big mistake huge (laughs) yeah um so i think that there's there's something there's something to be said there not that it's i've really explored it too much but obviously there's a socialization practice and i think then it makes sense that if you have engaged a group of young women or actually Mm. women of any age um through those emotional connections it's very easy to take it one step further and to see what kind of things that they would will purchase essentially um i think that there's a there's a lot of really interesting case studies in this as well one thing that i'm quite aware of and that's been in the news this week is um having celebrities doing uh, adverts for retinal cream for your face mm. and so um i'd seen it when we were in florida there was a neutrogena advert right and it has jennifer gardner in it Ooh, and it also has jenna ortega i think okay. that's how you say her name from oh, who's wednesday adams yes yeah so i did a little bit of research um because the tagline really product exactly it? yeah so the tagline is something like the best time to start retinol is whenever you feel like Uh, jennifer gardner is 51 i 
Yeah. Jenna Ortega is 21. I was going to say, I've seen a lot of things at the moment about the higher rates for teenagers using retinol. Yeah, And like absolutely. the long-term damage it can start doing. Um, so I think that's like a really interesting example. Kind of, it instantly reminds me of the pink tax. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just kind of how it's shaped a certain ideal of shopping and commodification for yeah. women and the expectation that we're meant to be playing a part of that. So I do think there's kind of somewhat an exploitation. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, this this is one of the things that I that I'm so now acutely aware of, of mm. just like how it's the it's the exploitation practices from yeah. it. Because it's not about being paid for art. It's not about wanting to invest in an artist. Yes. It's not about that. Yeah. It's that it's the over commercialization. It's the number of products just for the sake of, of another product, just for the collection. Yeah. I know I'm saying this as a collector <laughs> of one of the biggest like consumer brands out there yeah i understand the hypocrisy i really do but i am human and also i like to research so let's just like we'll talk about both um i think that having women just constantly fed that they should be shopping that they should be yeah. buying these things that it is about it's a symbol of luxury it's symbol really of status difficult as well because when we look at the history of women and ownership of bank accounts and money leisure activities youth culture you know that kind of behavior it's quite it's still quite recent like yeah. it seems like we could argue it's not but it, it like all of like bank accounts for women were like the 70s yeah, that's not like, that like long 1976, ago yeah. so there's, there's my a... mum was seven or eight wow that, you know when that's a, that's that's not that long ago it's when not we that long thinking ago about it so like the this it's almost been like created those behaviors how we handle yeah. money the market around it has really been created for us as late consumers at yeah. the end of the day yeah and that's the only way i can kind of we are those later consumers so as well like in terms of i know we're talking about the beauty industry and um sort of like this uh, popularity of like retinol yeah which by the way did you know that you you're not you're supposed to start on like 0.1 percent of retinol i don't know i would i don't use it's it only through research i don't use it i'm not putting anything on my i probably should maybe i'm at that age where i should but it like no. my google limited google search was basically the first one that was advertised to me was like four percent yeah retinol. That's high. That is high. How would I know? Do yeah. you know if I didn't do just I know a little bit more research, how would I know? I didn't know you're supposed to start on 0.1%. Anyway, my point of saying this is that you're not supposed to use these products, supposedly, until you start to see the signs of aging, which Vogue had said is around about 40 to 50 years old. That's when you're going to start really getting the lines and wrinkles mm. that this has developed to address. But why not target 20 year olds right with a yeah. problem that doesn't really exist because at the end of the day if you're waiting until women are in their 40s and 50s you're waiting a while it's a it's a yeah limited and we're market. definitely in this moment right now in a, a very heightened demographic for younger yeah gen z millennial and women there's a lot of um discourse now around the fact that uh gen z's are aging quicker than millennials oh my god i've seen that like, 
probably not. Just... No, but like, ah, I can believe it. I can genuinely believe it because of the cultural landscape that we're currently living in. Okay. People were saying they're having to age a lot faster because of the additional lifehood pressures that other generations oh, okay. have not had. So that mental pressure is actually doing a lot of physical aging for oh, them. Okay. So I, I have, I do know that when you talk, that's, I have... I haven't done research. I've looked at TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I can't pretend that I'm doing research on this right now. That, no, TikTok has research. Sure. We put our research on TikTok. <laughs> that counts. I'm sorry. But I, I, yeah, I do think it's, I think that's, it's, I do, I could believe it. I could believe okay. it. That I haven't read any scientific stuff, but I could it's quite interesting because i didn't know whether it was just like creating a perfect storm of like oh as it turns out anti-aging creams and potions aren't just for when you start to turn 30 because we've scared you into turning 30 because life is over at 30 yeah it's really not it's fantastic um (laughs) but now it's like oh well as it turns out you're aging faster and oh by the way have you seen kylie jenner you know, like, oh, maybe you should be buying the retinol. Maybe we shouldn't be doing yes, these things. Yeah. So I wondered if it's creating a perfect storm. And I didn't mean to go off on one about sort of like beauty standards and consumerism but and I think beauty products. You know, think about the Kardashians but especially. They are the face of these yeah. these products and of these brands and have created their own brands as well. And it is selling an ideal to fans that are invested in the mm-hmm. family. For me, I think that there is um, an ethical consideration there. I mean, I don't, I don't know much, but what I just felt was like, I'm pretty sure that's dangerous. I'm pretty yeah. sure there's a measure there, yeah. and it's basically created for like, uh, what is it for acne treatment as well? And it's just so strong. And I just think, don't mm. why, why are we think, promoting that? Why are we still? There's something in this as well about that external market that utilizes fan bases. So mm-hmm. celebrity influencers. A really key part of this so i think that's a really good example so we always talk about the touring industry as yeah. it is at the moment so we're seeing a significant change i would argue that this is the most heightened version of touring that we are currently yeah. living in and i do think credit would always go to taylor swift beyonce oh, yeah. harry styles they have made such an immersive bring me their eyes and actually adding into that as well oh bring me um, a fantastic yeah. show it's it's an all-round immersive experience from the point of purchasing tickets to being like engaged with that new release yeah. to then creating outfits and having that more DIY influence yeah. and making sure you're on brand with that tour as well. Yeah. The Eras tour and the Love On tour and uh, the Renaissance tour absolutely nailed that. I absolutely it, loved finding out that um, people were dressing up as Taylor's eras in yeah. these co- in costumes. I say costumes, they're not costumes, as in, in these outfits. Yeah. That are totally influenced by the album of their of their choosing mm-hmm. of the, of their of their favourite. And it does make a significant difference. Like I did the Harry Styles tour, having that that experience outside of the concert space and being like, oh, I'm going to make my outfit. I'm collecting yeah. this. I'm doing this. What are you wearing? Going online, checking out other ideas. Like, it's so immersive. Those it's so... are fan behaviours. Yeah. Ha- like, if, if we take away the consumption element, fandom is a labour of love, right? It is about creation yes. as well. Um, and so, you know, you're making your own outfits. Like, that's fantastic. That it yeah. could not be, you know, that is just exactly what fandom is mm-hmm. when it does come to that purchasing power elements so we've got this like diy immersive community-based values 
in this touring element of the industry I'm obviously not talking about the ticket sales itself. I'm not. <laughs> I think I paid 400 quid for Harry Styles oh so I could gosh. be standing and. Well, I paid 400 pounds for a bag. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. Uh, I mean, it was one of the best experiences. I would yeah. never have anything. I would. I would pay it again. I would yeah. pay it again to go do it again. Um, if I thought I could get a Taylor Swift ticket for Cardiff, I yeah. probably would. Yeah, like it's. They are amazing opportunities, and you know I can't fault that whatsoever. What I find really interesting, what we're having with the touring industry, and we have always had it where people externally out of those fandoms have taken merchandise. If we go back to Kylie and Kenna, <laughs> Kenna, Kendall, <laughs> <laughs> Kylie and Kendall with what was it, Metallica T-shirts, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so we the Primark does it all the time. Like we've seen the external market take yeah. fan-based merchandise and turn it into something else. This, however, was a whole new level. This was the first time that I was like, wow, yeah. fan bases are now changing fast fashion. Oh, yeah. The fast fashion industry is going, that is one hell of a demographic. Mm-hmm. TikTok, where fans are now making their own media, they are the voice of their work, of their, yeah, you know, the things that they are valuing. So now fast fashion has this really easy way to research who their new yeah. client is and like like boohoo asos like all of these massive fast fashion brands they moved fast oh they really did they moved so fast i remember like scrolling and being like oh wow so like all this like silver and chrome is is really coming back yeah. and then we had a discussion i was like oh yes beyonce and I definitely have a pair of silver boots. I've never yes, needed silver boots yeah. before, but I have some now. Yeah, but like all the pink for Love and Talk. Yeah. It was all like those DIY hearts, those kind of elements. Um, I, I guess Taylor Swift was a little bit difficult because there's like lots of mixed and match things. But it'd be like little things be like, a, a, like one of like ASOS or something could be like, you go to the Taylor Swift tour, like you should check out these. Or like they use lyrics or they use an aesthetic that's really yeah. similar to that artist branding. Um, so they're really getting a clear vision now of Fangirl. I see conversations online about how what Taylor's wearing. Yeah, I mean the whole like green reputation. outfit. Yeah, it's Everyone, all reputation. There were so clothing. many shops that were like, well, green outfits are in now. Because... Yeah, and that's it. And then so you've got snakeskin sort of everywhere yeah. because that's in, that's coded into yeah. the album, into the artwork and everything. So, yeah, it is. It's insane. I don't know if you saw as well. Um, so it was a little bit of... Um, sort of fans on TikTok, and we've had like the clean girl aesthetic that's come from yes, TikTok. Yes, now we have mob wife. We have mob wife, which I'm quite happy with. But <laughs> which also I was reading like last night is sort of like you know this also this kind of cry back or this like throwback to the nostalgia of like Tumblr as well. So we no longer we don't want it clean, but actually we want to be back. Yeah, in sort it's of candid, like, it's chaotic. It's, yeah, yeah, it's Kylie Jenner's pink hair, but we've got yeah. Um, was it mob wife? Yeah, mob wife. And leopard print as a neutral, and I, oh God, I love, love leopard that. print as a neutral. That's, but you know, all I'm thinking is, is thank <gasps> God that's a trend because I need I am leopard, leopard print stuff. I am yeah. leopard print as a neutral. Yes, absolutely, like, all day, there every was, day. There was a moment, and I was packing my suitcase not long ago, and I had six 
different leopard prints nice. for outfits. And I was like, oh my God, I've never realised how much I like. And when I saw the leopard print as a neutral, I was like, this is me. I so yeah. see it as a neutral. And so all I just think now, thank God that's going to be easily accessible oh, because so I no longer have to sort of shop on the outskirts of Boohoo and be searching yeah. for random items. Now it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when it has its moment. Um, but yeah, no, fan fangirls are definitely like the demographic as a purchasing demographic is something else right now. So have you seen the Taylor Swift cruise? Oh, you said about this. Yes. That I is I need to do some more so it's not at all connected yeah. to Taylor Swift. A company were just like, This is a demographic. Yeah. We will make a Taylor Swift cruise. A I think Taylor I Swift go. themed cruise, do you? I think I wanna go. <laughs> but like that's that's wild. That is wild. That, that is absolutely wild. Like how much money it is to uh, I even I don't know, how much does a ship cost to hire? Because yeah. unless they just were like, Hey, we're all going on this one, but I'm pretty sure it's just it's just for Taylor fans, right? Mm. It's just gonna be Taylor fans. That is insane, the amount of like preparation, yeah. the investment. You have to you have to fill that cruise ship. Yeah. I'm guessing there's gonna have to be like Taylor themed events and performances and It's a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot of work. But also and it's all fan led. Yeah, I find that one really interesting. And the other one that I'm so fascinated with, actually two things, is locations and fandoms. Okay. So one is Forks in Washington, which is the Twilight home base. Okay. Now, I, you need to go look at it on TikTok. Yeah, there are so many stores that are just about selling Twilight-themed things. They have, like, signs in different places. Okay. Like, people will have, like, this is the Cullen's house, or this is the... Like, really random, like, yeah. knickknacks that are about this location yeah. that has literally now become about a fan base your home your home location now I love Twilight but yeah. I just that is oh my god I suppose it to would be to drive a local economic system yeah so, yeah so it's actually become a point of like tourism people can actually yeah go and visit like fan based and... tourism and the other one is Harry Potter okay how Harry there is always a Harry Potter store one usually if we go to for some reason, every time I've gone somewhere in Spain, there's a Harry Potter store. Interesting. For UK tourists. find that really interesting. Or some sort of UK football thing. So, Harry Potter, it's all over Edinburgh. It's all over York. Basically, any place, especially in the UK, that meets the um, like aesthetic of Harry Potter, yeah. there's a Harry Potter shop. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. So, like, fan-based tourism and how... That is just blowing up right now. And like when we look at the Taylor Swift touring, the, the Taylor yeah. Swift era's tour, we, we were talking about this, like what it generated a billion yeah, I think of revenue the, for America. Yeah, so the it was a the GVA was like one billion to the US economy. Yeah. But I think even just in like one area, like the impact was something like five hundred thousand dollars or something. Mm. Something really insane and it's based on um, like the cost of transportation, yeah. or there's the cost of uh, hotels, hospitality, yeah. hotels, um, what's being then pumped into the local economy. Going out for food. I'll have to double check that. Local number. vendors that are probably putting on food Yeah, absolutely. Products. So, like, we know that, like, I, mean, I think typically when we think about fan tourism, we probably think of sport. We probably mm. think of something like the Olympics. We yeah. might think of, like, um, the World Cup. Um, and how people travel to different countries to do yeah. that. But I think we really are seeing a change in that it is now 
we are moving into yeah into our taste and it's also like cultural properties like things like harry potter and i I would argue that this is very much a relatable demographic for fangirls and not just fandoms and music i was honestly as you were saying about the twilight thing i was thinking about well i actually really want to go to salem because like hocus pocus right yeah like i know history witchcraft and everything but it's hocus pocus i want to go for <laughs> and in fact one of my my friend's daughters she actually went last halloween and i've never been so jealous of a 17 yeah. year old in all my life because i was like i just want to be there yeah. i just want to see everything but yeah as um as that sort of like that fan tourism it's yeah. it's something really incredible at the moment um and it's yeah i think it's you know, we can see the positives of how it supports external economies and um, especially independent artists. I love seeing people on Etsy yeah. hit those fangirl criterias yeah. and be like, I've met, I've met your needs. I've met your <laughs> needs. Here's a load of designs that I've come up with that you can have to... I, I have loads of those. I do a lot. Yeah. That actually... I don't do a lot of collectibles from the artists. This probably sounds like oh, a lot okay. of bad no, no, no. fangirling right now. I don't think that it is at all. But I love going to independent artists and being like, yeah. I want to buy your fan art. Sometimes that's where you can get the best stuff yeah, from. Yeah, I like buying a lot of like graphic designs from people, bookmarks, yeah. like all of these make sure. No, I love that. I love that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting this relationship between the artist and the fan from the point of view of like consumerism Mm. on the one hand you know like i've said with fans the things that they create is really a labor of love but it serves a a larger purpose to the artist because it provides um free content it Mm. provides free marketing it provides word of mouth it's something that is ultimately enhancing and developing their brand yes even though the fan wasn't asked to do it but the fan has gone out and done it just because they are they are they love such love yeah fans will do both fans will do things as a labor of love in ways that benefit the artist like very directly yeah um but will also just point blank say well i'm actually not going to pay for that as well and i don't think it makes someone a more legitimate or less legitimate fan Mm. i think that these are behaviors um that are really normal and, and rational as well but it's quite interesting to see how an artist might leverage that investment one collaboration that I just can't stop thinking about right now. <laughs> it's like blow my mind. And now the more I start thinking about it, the more I can't stop thinking about how good it is as a case study for purchasing power. So the use of Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. So we've had we've got the original Mean Girls two thousand and one. Yeah. Was it that long ago? Oh, I don't know. I think so. I think it was two thousand and one. Are we gonna check it out? We can fact check this. <laughs> we can fact check it. I'm pretty sure it was two thousand one. But we've gone from the original Mean Girls and now we've obviously just seen a remake that's inspired by the Broadway edition. 2004. 2004! Okay, okay, that's better. That's better. 2004 feels better. God, that's 20 years ago. That is 20 years ago. That's scary. Well, anyway, so we've got the original Mean Girls. We then move on. We have a Broadway edition, and now we have our new remake, which is a musical version of the Broadway, of the film, da 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 There's a lot of Mean Girls content. Yeah, <laughs> but Mean Girls, outside of those three films, I have seen, like, pop-punk events that yeah. use Mean Girls as a main theme. Yeah. I've seen lots of nightclub themes 
that use Mean Girls as a theme. Yeah. I've seen bottomless brunches that use Mean Girls as a theme. I see bigger shops go, let's do the Mean Girls effect, yeah. where it's just basically wearing all pink. There are hen nights. There are birthday parties for women. There are um, like specific collaborations that have happened. So the recent one is Ice Nine Kills. They have just dropped a Mean Girls collaboration, which is so freaking random. I like. <laughs> I love it. I love seeing gothic Mean Girls, but it's so random. Yeah, it does it's feel so a bit random. random. Like, why? Why have you done that? Well, it's probably not. I mean, I guess not that random. There must be market research. I mean, I mean, the marketing team, great job. Yeah. But, like, what does it actually offer their fans? I mean, it's quite interesting, isn't it, as terms of um, uh, the genre of music and perhaps, like, yeah. alignment with counterculture. I do quite like um, the idea that it's quite multifaceted for fans. I, I do yeah. think that's really nice because a lot of people who was like talking to a friend and they were like oh Harry Styles not a lot of emos go to Harry Styles and I was like you'll be pleasantly surprised yeah there was loads of emos and alternative yeah. kiddos who were there dressed up in their pink <laughs> so I do quite like seeing Mean Girls used as an emo aesthetic yeah. I like really enjoy that um but that collaboration just I was just like wow that, yeah that is like it. that is it that's a good one it's really interesting yeah Mean Girls is just it's so commercially viable. It's mm-hmm. such, and and the fact that it's twenty years old, yeah, I can't and it still has that. this much of an effect. Whether you like the new film or not, yeah, like we have a really clear association with what Mean Girls stands for. Like, there's a really clear aesthetic. There's a really clear branding associated y- with those yeah, two words. Yeah, there really is. The first thing that I can think of about like Mean Girls is that there was. Um, uh, spectrum makeup brushes collaboration yeah. that was a good good few years ago um but also it's also like heavily memeified as well isn't it like the the original yes um yeah. i'm sure that goes some way to explain it it's sort it's of like just, cultural i mean tina fey is a genius in the sense that she's created something that's still quite timeless and is still quite relevant in different cultural yeah. landscapes and then adapted a, she did the Broadway oh, edition okay. she worked on that and she worked on the new film so she's very much relevant in the adaptations of Mean Girl yeah. and to be able to have that perspective and going right these are the updates I need to make to make it more relatable to this current audience who is that demographic yeah. for this type of film it's really clever but I do think yeah Mean Girls is a really interesting case study so yeah next week it'd be great to have you join us for then we're going to deep dive into communities but before we wrap up danny what are you fangirling over this week <laughs> the pressure <laughs> what am i fangirling over the thing is i was like i have nothing and then i was like oh my god yes i do um i am fangirling over the blackout this week because i am Woo! going to go see the blackout in in a few days um, so it is like a month of gigs for me. I am like, oh, I am yay. so happy about this. I want a month of gigs. I don't know how this has happened, but I have like one gig a week for four weeks. That that hasn't happened in like the longest Damn. time because I am old and I am tired. But I'm gonna go see the blackout. Um, yes, I'm very, I'm very nice. excited. About this. In fact, at work today they were playing a blackout song, and I was like, <laughs> this is amazing. This is so. I was like, who did this playlist? This so, is great. That's why I'm fangirling over. Fabulous. How about you, Jess? What are you fangirling um, over this week? I'm still on Crescent City. I'm yeah. still on Crescent City. I'm Is the book still... out now? Uh, 
yes it is i have it um i haven't started reading it yet but i just can't it's just so pretty and and i just want it's so pretty it's so pretty, it's so pretty. i just want to buy lots Please of artwork things. for it oh, oh my god it's stunning um uh, but also download i'm not oh yeah i, I don't know if i'm going to download but the lineup looks so freaking cool like what it does look really really good i saw <laughs> Busted got announced. Busted got announced. I know. How crazy is that? I, there's a lot of festival lineups. So the other one I'm really fangirling over. Sorry to give more action on my fangirl. Oh moment. no, no, no. keep fangirl. Um, the Victorious Festival is it in oh, okay. Portsmouth? Um, I've only done it once, and it was only for one day. But this year, I think it's on the Sunday or the Saturday. It's Natasha Bedingfield. <laughs> It is Biffy Clyrit. No, okay. Daddy, you've got to like Natasha Bedingfield. I don't Bedingfield. like Natasha Bedingfield, unfortunately. <laughs> Even the producer. Producer Joe is saying, what? Whatever was going on at that time oh. in sort of British music, I physically cannot deal with. I'm because, really upset. <laughs> well, you're going to hate me when I tell you that I really dislike murder on the dance floor. Oh. I really, I can't. I don't know what it is. It's just that. T- Please don't come for I me. I love that. Salt did you, did you like Kate Nash? No. <sighs> what year were these things? Lily happening? Allen. Uh, tolerable, oh but not really goodness. into it. But like as a person, absolutely amazing. Like I love Lily Allen, but the music wasn't oh my goodness. thing. I don't know. This I think I must upsetting. have gone through like a. Maybe it was all at the same time. I think it was your Welsh side being like, I don't it could. Want oh to my do God, it so could have been. But, oh, the, yeah, <laughs> Natasha Bedingfield, I just, I didn't get it. I was, I, don't, I was, how, what year, honestly? I don't know what year. It was kind of like a, a couple of years. Fair. Okay, fair enough. Sounds that was a long winded, <laughs> what are you fangirling over this week? <laughs> we love it. We love it. Um, so, on that note, what are you fangirling over this week? Let us know. Let us. We do it each week on Instagram, or yeah. we're trying to anyway. Um, but yes, giving it our best go. <laughs> we're giving it our best go. Um, so yeah, let us know what you're fine getting over. We want to hear about these experiences. They mean the world to us. Plus, it gives us stuff to check out. Because yeah, like, we're very busy ladies. <laughs> we are very busy ladies. Um, but yeah, it would be great to hear from you. It would be great um to get some feedback on the podcast if you're yes. enjoying it. If there's anything that you want to further discuss, like we are mindful not to go too far into sort of research mode and be citing lots yeah. of academics we just want to have a conversation around it's these main fun. themes but of course if you want to know more please let us know um yes yeah it would be great to hear from you all thank you very much for listening this week guys this has been our second episode and we'll see you next week for episode three all about community and fangirls thanks bye Let me hear you fangirl, join the band